What's up, everybody? This is Sir Dr. J.M. reporting live for episode number four of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast. In case you're new around here, I'm your host, Sir Dr. J.M., also known as Jordan, also known as Sir, but you can call me whatever you like. As you probably gathered from the name, this is an Overwatch podcast where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, all those fun services at SirDRJM, just like it sounds. If you're interested and you want to like, subscribe, share, and all that fun stuff, you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts for now. Uh, we are working on getting it on some Google Podcasts and the Google Play Store and all that fun stuff, as well as some other podcast services. However, it is unfortunately taking a little bit longer than I intended. Um, I mentioned last week that I had procrastinated and just not got around to it. Well, this week I did get around to it. However, it uh, wasn't quite working. So call it under construction for now. Hopefully by next week I'll have it done. And also, I mean, I still did procrastinate, and I only really tried to get it up today as of, you know, maybe a couple hours before recording. So, anywho, hopefully, given some time and given a little more effort that I'll probably put in, we'll get it on some other podcast services. Now, I really liked last week's episode. Um, I think I structured things a little more than I had previously. And because of that, I think I'm going to follow a sort of similar format uh, you might hear me clicking around and things like that because I am recording at my computer and I've got a, my uh, run of show up here so that I can make sure I stay on track and uh, give you what I promise. So first things first, we are going to jump into some Overwatch news. Uh, we'll look at a little bit of Overwatch League information today, as well as some exciting stuff that came in a recent developer update, as well as a uh, new... Uh, timed, uh, whatchamacallit, challenge event celebration thing. Uh, so, anyways, let's get into it. First story I want to cover today, I found from Kotaku, reported by Nathan Grayson. However, I did actually also find this on the Overwatch League website, um, as well as a part that I'm going to read here is directly from the Overwatch League Twitter. Now, this came out shortly, if I'm not mistaken, shortly after the final games concluded on the past weekend. Um, so call it poor timing, call it trying to minimize the backlash from it, uh, but it was a little bit disappointing to see when it popped up. Anyways, the way it goes, Overwatch League tweeted out, in order to protect the health and safety of our players, fans, and staff, we are canceling plans to host hashtag Owl2020 matches in South Korea in weeks 5, 6, and 7, including the At Seoul Dynasty home event. We'll share more info about when and where matches will take place at a later date. That was tweeted out at 8.04pm on February 23rd. Now, as I mentioned, I believe that... Uh, that would have come out right around when the games finished on Sunday, uh, after that final Washington game, I believe, where they got beat by the London Spitfire. So, you know, all around disappointing for some fans. However, I wanted to bring this up because I think in the past two episodes, we're only on episode number four, and in the past two episodes, we've talked about the Overwatch League and games being canceled due to this coronavirus. Or, or at least delayed. So now looking at this, it's sad news all around because even Seoul 
won't be having their home event. It looked originally like a lot of the um, Chinese teams that were having their games cancelled or delayed might be able to sort of take refuge in Seoul, and uh, some of them had set up shop in some, you know, temporary living and practicing quarters over there. Those have now been cancelled. Those those home games that they were supposed to have have now been cancelled as well. And uh, particularly disappointing for someone like myself is that uh, Vancouver was supposed to play as well. I think after Vancouver had their opening weekend, a lot of the boys actually went back to Seoul, cause, or at least Korea, because that's where they're from. So they kind of had a chance to go home and were, I think, planning on just staying there for a little while until they had their matches and had to come back to North America. Now, that said, obviously this affects also the Chinese teams, which were even, you know, further pushback, delayed, whatever. Most importantly, like, we don't have... We we have next to no information on what they're gonna do for, for this quote unquote, where matches will take place later, which Nathan also points out in his article. Reading a little bit more from his article, he also says while some teams have already played a handful of matches, Seoul Dynasty, Gangzhou Charge, Hangzhou Spark, and Chengdu Hunters won't play until the ninth week of the season, and the Shanghai Dragons won't log any on-stage game time until week eleven. Now, that is crazy to me. I'm actually just going to check and see how many weeks there are in the season, because I don't know off the top of my head. 27 weeks, and they won't play until week 11. That's crazy, if you ask me. Um, I really do think that this is a a bit of a problem with the league, just because of the uh, geographic footprint of the league and the fact that it spans quite literally, the entire globe. I think they're really going to have to figure out a better solution for this kind of thing. Although, I mean, this coronavirus is somewhat unheard of. You know, it's not not unheard of that we have diseases like this that affect, uh, I don't know, a widespread population. I mean, I can remember, you know, uh, SARS and... Uh, I'm trying to think of any other ones. I know there have been other ones in my lifetime. The swine flu, things like that. But it's pretty crazy what's what's going on. I mean, I guess Ebola, if you want to be that drastic about it. But, you know, these things aren't unheard of, however uncommon they might be. So hopefully they can figure something out, get these games rescheduled, and please all the fans and you know, all the investors, because I think some of the owners and the organizations that own these teams certainly cannot be happy with this. Now, outside of Overwatch League, I'm not um, blind to the fact that many, many organizations have been pulling out of large events. I know Sony and Capcom and uh, Square Enix and Kojima Productions have recently pulled out of uh, the GDC, the Game Developers Conference, as well as other events like uh, PAX East is coming up and a lot of them have had to pull out of those events because of international travel that they don't want to risk for many of their employees so this is much larger scale I think but regardless I think the league is going to have to maybe consider this kind of thing and the possibility that it could happen again or I mean obviously these kind of things don't usually happen more than once with the exact same disease but it's not unheard of, as I mentioned before and gave a few examples of. Not unheard of for this kind of thing to come up and cause some major disruption. The second news story I want to look at. 
the most recent developer update, which came at least as a bit of a surprise to me, came out last night. Uh, that would be February 24th. I'm recording on the 25th. And they announced the first experimental card coming out. It was almost seven minutes long of Jeff telling us all about it. Um, so some of the highlights, you can find this video over on the Overwatch YouTube channel. But some of the highlights are the first thing that they're testing, or the main thing that they're testing, is a change to the roll lock. So no longer in the experimental card, at least, will it be a 2-2-2 roll lock. They will be moving to a one tank to support three damage roll lock. Now, in my humble opinion, that's going to be quite interesting. And I also wonder if that almost eliminates the point of having a tank. I feel a little bit like having to rely on a single individual tank to sort of take the brunt of the, the damage, if you will, for the whole team. To me, that seems like it won't be enough. It always seemed like you do need more than one tank in order to truly be effective. I know when I actually first started playing Overwatch, I actually thought that in quick play and in competitive, you had to do 2-2-2. Two, two, two. I thought it was restricted to two people choose tanks, two people choose support, two people, two people choose damage. Obviously, I quickly found out that I was incorrect and anyone could pick anything. But now that we've we've come a long way since then, and now that we're so used to two two two, I I feel like we're accustomed to having either one shielded tank as well as you know an off tank role either in Roadhog Zarya or Diva in most cases, where the main tank will have his shield up, his or her shield up, will take most of the damage, but the off tank can take a lot of that off of the main tank so that people are focusing on those two. Meanwhile, the damage dealers deal the damage, and the support uh, players, obviously, support everyone. So I do have concerns that having one tank just won't be enough. But on the other side of that, I also think that three damage characters is going to be a lot of fun. I, I think it'll be a lot more chaotic, almost. It really depends on what people are using as those three damage characters. If you've got something like... Uh, Genji, a Doomfist, and a McCree, you've got all sort of aspects of a fight there. You've got two people that can pop in sort of close range and are very quick and difficult to hit. At the same time, maybe a little squishy. But then you've got someone like McCree, or even if you have a Widowmaker or a Hanzo, who can hang back and sort of try to pick people off while the other two draw that attention. Now, the main thing that Jeff said in this video is that a large part in this particular experimental card experiment, if you will, was that they kind of looked at the current state of the game and they said, how do we make the damage queue times faster or shorter, really? Because right now, when you queue for, for the game, obviously, there's the most, the highest number of damage heroes and, you know, more often than not, most people want to play the damage heroes. Even though I play primarily support, I definitely do think the damage heroes are, in a lot of ways, some of the most fun characters to be. Bringing down that queue time could have a big impact, because right now it's usually, you know, a two-minute queue for tank, a two-minute queue for support, but then it's a ten-minute queue for damage. So if you're strictly playing damage characters, you're often waiting much longer than you're waiting if you're only playing tank or only playing support. I think tank is even usually 
quicker than than support queue in in my experience the point is jeff was saying that they want to try and bring down that damage queue time which only means people are playing more and people are getting into games faster so i think that that could be a good change again obviously i have other concerns about how it will work balance wise but it is what it is it'll be fun to give it a try they also mentioned that one of the concerns that this draws which kind of supports what i was saying is that what does this do for the off tank characters because with one tank you know trying to lead the charge if you will it means that you're generally speaking always going to be going for one of those main tank characters you can't really lead the charge as say i mean the the three off tank characters roadhog zarya and diva if you're diva you know you've got your defense matrix which can eat damage for a short period of time but after that you've really got nothing to do except for move your body in front of someone to take damage away from them with Zarya, it's a similar case where you've got her bubble, but that only lasts so long. You can bubble someone else, but again, that only lasts so long. And then, of course, with Roadhog, he doesn't actually even have a shield at all or any form of uh, defense in that way. He can simply heal himself, which, although that heal is is pretty powerful, it doesn't really help anyone else on the team. Um, doesn't offer them any protection, anyhow. So one thing that Jeff talked about in that effect is that they're going to have to test some balancing changes with those characters too. Now, I wasn't sure, I don't believe he touched on this in the video, but I did read somewhere else that one of the things they're working on, or maybe testing, or is maybe live with the experimental card, I don't know because I haven't had a chance to play it, is giving Roadhog, um, giving his Take a Breather ability where he heals himself, an area of effect as well, where it actually heals the whole team, or at least the whole team in an area around him as the area of effect term implies anyways i digress that could be really cool and could give us some more flexibility on at least roadhog it'd be really interesting to see what they do with zarya because she's got her projectile bubble and she's got her bubble but other than that she does i find often rely on that other tank character and i mean diva has a very at least from what I've seen, has a very sort of, I don't know what you want to call it, poke and play style, where she'll be sort of either either off to the sidelines or, you know, behind Reinhardt's shield or whatever. She'll poke out with her little blast forward ability, she'll launch, launch some rockets, she'll absorb some shots, deal some damage, then she'll come back and she'll kind of retreat. Now, I'm hoping that we see maybe some other changes with Zarya and Diva, maybe they're already there. Jeff didn't talk about them. I didn't read anything about them, so I don't think they are. But it'll be exciting to see how those character roles change in addition to um, changing some of the other playstyles if this one tank to support three damage kind of uh, shift changes things. One thing that I should point out that Jeff also pointed out is he quite literally said the words, don't panic. I know I've been reading a lot that people are really concerned about this experimental card, and I really have no idea why, because as the name implies, it's literally an experiment. Um, one thing that I'm not sure if Jeff pointed out or I just was thinking on my own, but the thing is, oh, you know what? I actually, it was a tweet from uh, Surefor on Twitter that I saw. The thing about the experimental card 
is that it enables players on console to have a way to test things. And outside of that, it even enables people who are playing on PC who could go to the PTR, but don't, it gives them a chance to test out some of these changes as well. Because the PTR, in my opinion at least, has always been sort of a... Honestly, it's been a bit of a hurdle for people to get over. Yes, anyone who wants to will figure it out and will be able to get into the PTR and play there, but for a lot of people, they just want to launch the game, they just want to play. They might not even know that the PTR exists, right? I only know about it because I used to play World of Warcraft, and obviously there's a PTR in World of Warcraft, and I was in a large guild that had a lot of people who played on PTR. For me, I never had any interest, because I was very much kind of like, why would I want to go level this character that is actually the same character but none of the stuff i'm doing actually matters because it's a test realm so at any given moment i mean blizzard could nuke it blizzard could roll back things blizzard could change things blizzard could nerf things whatever they want to do right so anyways i know i talked about this when they first talked about the experimental card that it gives players on console a chance to test some things but it also gives it opens the door to people who are playing on pc and who just have no interest or have never even heard of or whatever the ptr so should be interesting. I'm excited to get in there and take a look at it. I'm especially excited to actually try uh, Roadhog if those changes have been applied to him already in the experimental card. And that should be fun and exciting. On to the next news story. And I believe this is actually the last story I have for today. Again, you know, I'm not trying to cover all the news in Overwatch, but uh, I kind of pick out the biggest stories or the stories that I think have the most impact. And thus, this story is about the Mardi Gras challenge, which is now live as of the update that also released the experimental card. Now, I pulled some information from Liz Richardson's article on .esports, and it reads like this. From February 25th to March 9th, Overwatch players can earn an epic skin for the sharpshooter and her trusty Omnic butler during the Ash Mardi Gras challenge. Players will have to win nine games of Overwatch over a two-week period to unlock player icons and exclusive spray and the festive skin. The Ash Mardi Gras Challenge fits the same pattern as other Overwatch standalone events. Players will have to win nine games to unlock the epic skin. At three wins, players unlock two ex exclusive player icons to celebrate the holiday. Six wins will give players access to an exclusive Mardi Gras spray. Wins can be earned in Overwatch's competitive mode, quick play mode, or any arcade mode. Custom game wins don't apply. Players can also earn additional exclusive sprays by watching Overwatch streamers on Twitch until March 9th. Every two hours of viewership, up to six hours, will unlock more sprays of Ash and Bob taking part in Mardi Gras festivities. Viewers must have their Twitch account connected to their Battle.net account to earn rewards. Watching any stream under the Overwatch game tag on Twitch will count toward the exclusive sprays. So, another mini-event, if you will. Um, I do like what they've been doing with these, these events. I think it gives the developers a way to reward people more and a way to change things up just a little bit where it requires obviously i think a lot less effort from them than when they build out the actual um, full-on events like the archive event the summer challenge event the anniversary event halloween event whatever 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 christmas event long story short i'm a big fan of these events i enjoy them i like when they reward me with silly little things like cosmetic skins and everything like that i almost wish they would you know take it a step further 
um, and maybe give us some other customizable options when it comes to your character. However, I suspect that's either never going to happen or we're a long way from that. But, you know, looking at a game, a bit of an older game, but like TF2, where they introduced hats and some customizable stuff there, I always was a big fan of that. So that's probably all I've got to talk about when it comes to the Mardi Gras event. Again, having not really played it yet, um, I'm not too sure what else there is to say. I haven't really looked at the skin even. I know I've seen it kind of in passing, and it looks fun. And seeing as I don't have a great skin for Ash yet, I might just might just give it a try and see if I can pick it up. Um, so yeah, we'll go from there. Now then, on to the next segment of the show the owl recap where i look at the previous week's overwatch league results and i'll give you a little bit of a breakdown of what i saw and my professional opinion on how the matches went so the first match of the week i'm gonna jump over to week three was saturday february 22nd the new york excelsior taking on the philadelphia fusion that game wound up three to one for the philadelphia fusion i know in my previous episode i had put my money on new york i think most people had probably put their money on new york i think the smart money said new york was the team to beat this past weekend um i don't know that many people would have predicted philly was going to come out on top as they did but by all means they did in both of their games I was definitely surprised by this because I think New York is a pretty strong team. It's hard to say, again, I mean, we're only, at this point, it was only week three. We're still early in the season, which I seem to say every every uh, episode. But who knows, maybe I'll still be saying that at week 22. I was shocked. I think most people were shocked. And that's about all I really have to say about that. Philadelphia won 3-1, to one, so it'll be interesting if they have a rematch or anything like that and if New York can pick themselves up and take off from there the next game was the boston uprising over the houston outlaws now boston won three to two however this game was particularly exciting because initially it looked like boston was going to stomp houston in fact they were stomping houston until they continued on and this game actually wound up setting a new overwatch league record now, I've actually got an article here that I'm just going to pull up, and I want to make sure I give credit where credit is due to the person who posted it. And as I suspected, it was once again Liz Richardson at .esports.com. So, I'm just going to read a quick blurb from her article, and then I'll talk a little bit more about the game. Two teams have broken a major record just three weeks into the newest Overwatch League season. In what was widely predicted to be a quick match, the Houston Outlaws and Boston Uprising played seven maps, seven maps, to decide a winner. The Boston Uprising came out ahead with a final score of 3-2, to two, which included two draws. Now, as I mentioned, uh, Liz wrote a whole article about this. Check out her article for a more detailed breakdown of what exactly happened in this match but it was pretty crazy like i said looked like boston was going to stomp houston looked like they were going to maybe take it and run after they got a 2-0 on ilios and then the next round was anubis and if i'm not mistaken i think they they had a draw on that map which generally speaking is not something we see every day there we go 
After that, they went to Dorado, where Boston took it 3-1. And then they went to Blizzard World, where again, they had yet another draw. So from there, I mean, Houston won the next round. Houston won the next round after that. And then Boston won the final round. But it was crazy to watch because I don't think, especially this early on, anyone would have ever guessed that a game would go to seven rounds. So it really caught a lot of people, including myself, off guard. I'd be surprised if anyone had predicted that that match would go to seven rounds. Especially looking at the two teams, I mean, Boston and Houston, neither of which are super, in my opinion, stellar teams. Houston, especially on a bit of a losing streak going into this game. It was exciting to watch, and yeah, a few of the things that I noticed on that that their game, I was really impressed with Jerry on McCurry for Boston. He was a lot of fun to watch, and then matching him, or even countering him, watching Blase on McCurry for Houston. It was a lot of fun to see that. We also got to see a little bit of Blase playing Symmetra, although I think he mostly used it for the teleporter as teams often do he actually did come out at one point and you know started up his microwave and started nuking some people which i personally think is always fun i love a i love seeing symmetra played at a high level uh side note if you're interested one guy that i follow on instagram his name is daniel fenner he actually plays a lot of high level symmetra and it's just a ton of fun to watch I'm just pulling up his Instagram. Yeah, it's literally Daniel Fenner, D-A-N-I-E-L-F-E-N-N-E-R. He posts a lot of highlights on Instagram, um, but he also streams on Twitch a lot. And his Symmetra play is just fantastic to watch. And that's why I'm such a big fan of seeing high-level Symmetra. Anyways, Jerry on McCree, Blase on McCree, tons of fun to watch. I love all the McCree action that we're getting these days. It's just so much fun to watch that little cowboy roam and... uh, you know, watch out for high noon. Watch out. Watch out. Another exciting thing, or another thing I really liked about this matchup was seeing, I believe it's pronounced Mufin on Boston. Um, 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 yeah, he's a, he's a newcomer to the team. I believe he's a newcomer to the Overwatch League. This may be his first season in up in the high ranks here. And it was really fun to see him playing. You could tell he was having a lot of fun. You could tell he was nervous, but... I think he had a blast, and then at the end of the game, after Boston won, uh, Golden Boy interviewed him, and it was just a lot of fun to see how excited he was, how positive he was about the whole thing, Um, and, you know, to see some of those newbie jitters kind of things. So, really enjoyed that. Lots of fun to see. The next game on Saturday was the Paris Eternal against the Washington Justice. Now, I know I've expressed before that in my opinion, it's exciting to see a home team win. I stick to that regardless of the fact that, you know, I didn't really have a hat in the race when it comes to Washington versus Paris. I'm a big fan of Corey, as I point out, I think almost every episode. But in this game, I don't know that I saw much that was too exciting. Paris took it 3-1. And at the beginning, because it was a home game, I guess, Washington had some weird trapeze artist thing going on during the intro and it was weird and I didn't understand it and I was confused why they had these trapeze artists and who thought that was a good idea that's honestly really all I have to say about that match sorry Washington and Paris fans but I didn't think it was that great although good job Paris good job 
On Sunday, the first game we saw was the New York Excelsior again returning to play the returning Houston Outlaws. Now, this game went about exactly as I would have expected. Houston got beat 3-0, so New York took this one. Probably good for them after coming off a loss to Philadelphia. However, if they had lost to Houston, I think people would have been crying about it because New York is a team that should really not be losing to a team in Houston's uh, current state. Again, still early on, but Houston not looking so good. One thing I would like to say about Houston in that game, I did notice from the previous weeks, it looks like they're getting steadily better. They were, I know I had talked before about them being a little slow to adapt, not quite changing their strategy, not quite changing um, maybe the, the characters they were choosing to counter the things New York was doing, or whoever their opponent is doing in that in that situation. I did think when they played New York, they looked like they're getting steadily better. Maybe just not enough. It did look like they were adapting a little more to the plays, you know, changing their strategies, or at least trying new things or different things to kind of counter Houston. That said, again, maybe not adapting enough, maybe just a little too static still, um, but we'll see what they can do in the coming weeks. The next game, again on Sunday, we saw the Toronto Defiant take on the Philadelphia Fusion. Now, again, I'm a big Canadian boy, and I'm always going to cheer for a Canadian team unless I despise them, unless they're from Edmonton, probably. So I was cheering, I was pulling for Toronto to pull this win out, not that I really cared too much. And again, Philadelphia going into this match after a win uh, against New York, looking really strong. When the match started out, Toronto got completely stomped, um, I think in round one. I, I tweeted out that, you know, I was really pulling for them, and it's a shame to see them getting stomped, but Philadelphia is looking really dominant, which is quite impressive. Seeing that, I don't think Philadelphia did really much last season. They weren't really in the conversation for, uh, for the finals, the championship, or anything, so impressive turnaround they've had um and they're definitely they are looking good i know um i know one of the casters i believe had even said or made a comment that philadelphia might just be the best team in the league right now <clears throat> cough cough custa but he also kind of backpedaled on that as soon as he said it and you know rightfully so toronto did end up pulling two rounds out of their butts and they ended up losing it 3-2, to two, but it was an exciting match no less. Um, now, as I mentioned, you know, I'm not, I'm not a super big Toronto fan, but I am a pretty big fan of a couple of their players in particular. One, in, one specific one being Sherfor. I've mentioned before, he's a good old Alberta boy, if I'm not mistaken, and so therefore I'm a fan of his. Seeing Sherfor not play in the first round I think was a pretty big mistake I understand they they probably want to give other people a chance and Sherfor is you know a little bit more experienced and being on the LA Gladiators last season he has had some success and he has tasted that victory that sweet sweet victory so I really enjoy watching him play but all of that said I think he is a bit of a playmaker um Trading him to Toronto was probably a pretty big deal for Toronto because I think he can change the tide of a battle, um, you know, mostly in the characters he plays and how he plays them. That was demonstrated pretty clearly on Anubis, which I believe may have been the second round, um, when he was playing Sombra. 
Not only did he pull out a six-man EMP at one point, he had at least two more big ones where I believe he got four or more uh, people on Philadelphia caught in them. And man, Sombra's EMP continues to be one of the best ults in the game. It really just shuts the other team down and in most cases causes them to crumble. It can really, really win a fight, that's for sure. Sombra, although she might not necessarily be in the meta right now, uh, not super in the meta, I think this might be one of the only teams or even maybe one of the only players that we've really seen play her to the extent that Surefor did, but there's no denying the, uh, the difference that she can make on a team. That is for certain. Another thing we saw Toronto kind of playing around with trying to make work for them, and to an extent I think they had some success with it, was a bit of a dive comp. And now I'm actually a big fan of dive comp because more often than not, it includes one of my favorite heroes being Winston. And I was not disappointed by Beast on Winston. I thought he looked really strong, especially again on Anubis. Um, and I just love watching a good Winston jump in and take some people out. Winston, again, gotta be one of my favorite characters. Another person on Toronto, now again, I realize I'm focusing a lot on Toronto. In fact, I don't think I'm going to talk about Philadelphia at all. But I mean, hey, they, they lost, so I like to, you know, shed some light and bring some goodwill to them. Um, another player, though, that I was impressed with on Toronto was Agilities. I thought he was looking really strong on Doomfist, which, again, you know, a bit of the meta from last season carrying over to this season. I definitely don't think we're seeing him played as much as we did in the previous season of Overwatch League. However, when we do see him, I still think he is a very strong contender for, uh, for a damage hero, uh, for top damage producers on a team kind of thing. And I'm sure when we see San Francisco return to play whenever they return, um, I'm sure we're going to see some Doomfist play from them because I know Sinatra has a very strong Doomfist as well. Moving on, they eventually made their way to Dorado, where one thing I wanted to point out was we saw Agilities doing his best Hacksaw impression on Genji. We saw him trying to whip out the uh, Dragon Blade and slice and dice people, especially with the Nano Boost coming from their Ana there, but I definitely did not think he, he could quite pull it off to the extent that Hacksaw can. Um, so, hey, you know, from one Canadian team to another, we applaud your attempt, and we look forward to seeing you on the battlefield and seeing your agilities Genji go up against Hacksaw's Genji. Whether or not Vancouver and Toronto actually even play at all this season, I have no idea because I haven't looked that far forward in the season. But if they do, that'll be an exciting match for me to watch and for most Canadians to watch, I'm sure. After that, they moved on to King's Row and stuff happened, but I don't have too much to say about the rest of the match. Um, again, I just, you know, I'm... I guess I'm kind of an under, I'm kind of a secret fan of Toronto, even though, you know, most people who are outside of Toronto and Canada don't really give two shits about Toronto. I, again, they're one of two Canadian teams, so I do like to pull for them in most cases. The final match of the weekend was the London Spitfire against the Washington Justice. So, you know, the, the hosting team, another another one of their games, their second game of the weekend. Unfortunately, they lost to the Paris Eternal on Saturday. So I think most people were hoping for a win on Sunday, especially being that it was against the London Spitfire, who 
as far as I'm concerned, I don't think they have they had had a win this season yet. I could be wrong about that. I haven't looked at the stats in a little while. But I think Washington was largely favored in this match. And who, doctor, did they disappoint? Um, if I pull up the actual match details here, I mean, they came out strong on the first two, map, two maps with uh, Oasis and Hanamura. But unfortunately, after that, uh, London took control and ended up winning it all. So it wound up being three for the London Spitfire to Washington Justices two. You hate to see it, but it happened. London, uh, you know, pulling out the reverse sweep after they almost got swept. Very closely could have been 3-0 and for Washington. Wound up being 3-2 for London. So exciting stuff if you're a London fan. However, you know, Washington being the home team, um, would have been exciting to see them pull out a win, especially being that they had lost the previous day. However, they didn't. And that's about all I have to report for week three. So next up, my next part of the show, and arguably my favorite part of the show, is the look at week floor. Week floor. I almost said week floor. Week four in a segment I like to call Owl Flying At Ya. So let's see what is going on week four. And again, this is pretty much the first time I'm taking a real close look at this um, this upcoming week. So it looks like we are hosted by the Houston Outlaws at the Revention Music Center. That's an interesting name. So let's see who our first matchup is. First match on Saturday, February 29th at 1 o'clock p.m. is the New York Excelsior against the Florida Mayhem. Now, this is interesting. Aha, aha, aha. I see. Now that we're into week four, we're starting to see, obviously, a lot more repeat teams. In fact, all of these teams have played, if I'm not mistaken... With the exception of, I believe, as we'll see upcoming here, the Atlanta Reign. So outside of that, all of these teams have played, which is exciting. Uh, the thing that really excites me is this first match, New York Excelsior versus Florida Mayhem. Last week, I definitely would have said that New York was the team to beat. Um, but, you know, after their disappointing showing against uh who did they play again uh against philadelphia this past weekend i'm kind of wondering if maybe they're not necessarily the team that's going to come out on top um let me just take a look at where florida is in the standings right now so florida right now in the standings has one win one loss so pretty even new york has three wins and one loss so new york definitely has the the better uh record right now florida is sitting pretty in seventh place they have a map differential of zero so that's interesting because they're the only team that is sitting at a zero there uh in eighth after them is the la valiant with again one win one loss but they have a map differential of minus one so that's interesting now then looking at that what do i think i mean obviously new york has more wins They've obviously played more games because they have, you know, four games under their belt, whereas Florida only has two. But mm, do I want to give the edge to Florida? Do I want to give the edge to New York? Honestly, I kind of feel like I should still give it to New York. Maybe I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they don't deserve it because I know 
at the end of last season, I definitely did think they were a little overrated. That said, this season I've talked up talked them up a lot, and I am kind of into them. You know, I can I can jive with them. But that said, I like Florida too. So I'm pulling for Florida, but honestly, I expect New York to win, um, at least until they prove me otherwise. Losing against one of these sort of you know I don't want to say lesser teams, but maybe less proven teams. Um, I think I'll I'll give the edge to New York. That same day, February 29th, Saturday, we will also see the Toronto Defiant play against the Atlanta Reign. Now, Toronto is sitting at a record of one win, one loss. Uh, just like, oh, look at that, just like Florida. But they have a map, map differential of plus one. So that's why they're in sixth place and Florida is in seventh. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the Atlanta Reign has not played yet. And looking at the record, yes, I'm correct. They have zero and zero losses. So Atlanta, um, bit of a question mark right now. Atlanta is another one of the teams that last season I didn't know too, too much about. Um, I enjoy Baby Bay because he's a funny guy and I follow him on Instagram. But that said, do I think they can win against Toronto? Mm, I really, I, you know, I know I talk a lot about this whole Canadian thing. I am liking what Toronto's doing this season. I think that um, looking at last week, I just want to pull it up again. Pulling it up, pulling it up. Last week they had a tough match against Philly where they did almost turn it around, as I mentioned. And then in week one, who did they play in week one again? Week one they played Paris and they and they did beat them. So I do like Toronto and being that I know next to nothing about Atlanta, I'm going to give the edge to Toronto. I think that hopefully they will pull out the W and hopefully those fans in Atlanta, because this is in Houston, so chances are there's going to be more Atlanta fans than there are Toronto fans. Hopefully they're not too crushed. The final game on Saturday is the London Spitfire. Oh, this is funny. February 29th, 5 o'clock. I'm just double. I'm just confirming. We got London Spitfire playing the Houston Outlaws. Am I crazy, or did that game happen? Oh, I am crazy. Okay, I was thinking London had played Houston the previous week, in which case I would have said that that was crazy. That, But it was. it turns out, as I had just talked about previously, it was London beating Washington that I was thinking of. So that changes things a little bit. However, it doesn't change things too much because Houston is not looking great, as I've talked about many times. That said, as we all know, uh, London is also not looking great. Now, when I look at the standings, I'm actually surprised to see, and I don't think I realized... Where the heck is Houston? Oh, I see. Uh, I didn't realize that Washington is actually now below London in the standings. And if I take a look at their record, that's only really because uh, Washington has one win, three losses, whereas London has one win, two losses. So really, it's only because of the number of games played at this point. However, I guess London edges Washington. And then if you look at the bottom, bottom, bottom of the standings, we have the Houston Outlaws with zero wins and four losses. I have not been impressed with London so far. That said, they obviously pulled out a W somehow. Um, I've obviously not been impressed with Houston either, and I've talked a lot about that. Ugh. Do I think London will win? 
I mean, again, it, it seems like right now, and largely I think this is because we're still so early on, but it seems like I'm just giving the edge to the team that has more wins. But really, Houston has yet to prove anything to us. They haven't won a single game, and they've played four, which is more than, um, if I'm not mistaken, more than most teams. Yeah, looks like it. Looks like they have, yes, that is definitely true. There's a few other teams that have played four games. Um, New York has, and they're, you know, 3-1. Philadelphia has, and they're 4-0. Um, boom, boom, boom. And looks like Washington has, and they're one win, three losses, as I mentioned. So the fact that Houston is the only team to have played four games and lost four times definitely does say to me that London's got to win this one. If London doesn't win this one, which is a possibility, um, like I said, I was actually a little bit impressed with Houston against New York. I thought they did step their game up, and they are maybe learning and making adjustments. Still early on in the season, so they've got lots of time. But I would think London is is betting on themselves. I mean, they're out, you know, every team's going to bet on themselves. But I would think that London is really looking at this game, saying we got to take the wins right now where we can get them. And with London being such a such a rookie team, they want to win these matches. These this you know playing Houston, playing a couple other teams like Dallas. I mean. They want to win those games because those, in theory, should be easy games to win because Houston and Dallas are sitting at the bottom of the standings right now. So I'm going to I'm gonna say that London's going to win that one. We'll see what, what happens, though. If Houston wins it, I'll be impressed with Houston and not so shocked with London because that's what I expect from them. After that, we have, oh, on Sunday... Oh, interesting. One, two, three. We had three games on Saturday. We have one, two, three, four games on Sunday. So looking at Sunday, first game is at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, because that's where I am. And we have the Boston Uprising playing the Philadelphia Fusion. So Philadelphia currently is sitting at the number one spot with four wins and zero losses. Now, where will I find Boston? Boston, Boston, Boston. One win, one loss, and that's after this previous weekend, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, again, obvious choice is Philadelphia. Do I think Boston will pull out a win against Philadelphia? Not really. Philadelphia is looking very strong right now, but at the same time, I mean, it's not like we haven't seen them flub. They did flub against Toronto, although they wound up taking the win. It was, you know, towards the end there. I, I don't know if Toronto got lucky or if Toronto was finding their groove, but Philadelphia did, you know, almost get reverse swept on that round. So I do think that Boston could put up a fight, I'll say. Do I think they're going to win, though? No, I, I don't. I would definitely give that game to the Philadelphia Fusion. After that, 1 p.m., two hours later, we have the Paris Eternal facing the Atlanta Rain. Now, outside of the fact that their symbols are very similar in color and they both feature birds, I think that Paris is not looking too bad so far. Again, I'm not a super huge fan of Paris. I mean, I've yet to really have any interest in Atlanta as well. But 
so far, Paris has, you know, they're sitting at a 2-1 and one record. Do I think they can take Atlanta? Again, hard to say because we haven't seen Atlanta play. Um, Baby Bay is really all I know about Atlanta. And in terms of Paris, all I know is what I've seen this season so far. So I honestly, I think I'll just re- reserve judgment on that match because we don't know what Atlanta is going to be like. Um, and speaking of that, I'm just looking at the, the rankings as well. Right now we have one, two, three, four, five, six teams sitting in 12th place with zero games played. Now, this relates back to the news. The One of those teams is Atlanta, who plays this coming weekend. But the other teams, Chengdu Hunter, Hangzhou Spark, Gangzhou Charge, Shanghai Dragons, Seoul Dynasty, it's all of those um, teams that have yet to play and that their homestands have now been postponed or delayed or whatever you want to call it. So... Who knows what will happen with that, but I just it's sad to look at the standings and see that, especially being that some of them should have been playing in the upcoming weeks. So anyways, back to the Paris versus Atlanta game. Um, I'm just going to straight up reserve judgment and say, I mean, hell, Paris will probably win because they have a winning record so far, but I'm not even going to say that. Actually, I should go back. I should edit that out of the show because I don't even truly believe that. I'm just going to say, who knows what will happen. It'll be interesting to see Atlanta play for the first time. Well, for the second time after playing Toronto on Saturday. But hopefully it'll be interesting to see Atlanta pull out their first win because I hope Toronto wins on Saturday. Moving along, after that, we have the London Spitfire playing against the Florida Mayhem. Now, this is a similar situation to the previous London game that I mentioned on Saturday. We definitely, or as a team, London definitely wants to pick up that win against Florida because Florida right now is, you know, a little bit undecided of a team. It's kind of hard to say how they'll be, but being that they largely have a rebuilt roster, um, these are the games that London really will want to win. You know, Florida not sitting at the bottom of the rankings like Houston is, but again, with Florida being such a new team in terms of um, their their actual team members being essentially all new. These are the kind of games that London really should uh, want to win. My personal opinion is that Florida is going to win. And my hope is that Florida wins because I like Florida. So that's that. Final game of the weekend is the Toronto Defiant playing the Houston Outlaws. Now, obviously, I've already talked about Toronto. I've already talked about Houston. And looking at the rankings, again, Toronto is in sixth with one win, one loss. And Houston is at the bottom of the rankings with zero wins and four losses. This, in my opinion, should be a fun match because it will probably be a little more of a challenge, I would say, for Houston to defeat them. Whereas the previous day when they play London I think you know it's maybe a little bit more of an even matchup I mean Toronto's only played two games as well so who knows any team could get lucky and win I'm pulling for Toronto though and that is the end of the weekend now I do want to note that it sucks but I'm actually going to be away this weekend I'm going to be in the lovely Banff Alberta because uh, my company does a yearly retreat and we will be there on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, I might, might, might be able to catch some of the games on Sunday. Um, I mean, check out from the hotel will be around 11 o'clock, so I would imagine we'll be back in town by about 
probably shortly after everything's said and done, we're all settled at the house. Probably shortly after one, so I might be able to catch the Paris Eternal versus Atlanta game. I might be able to catch, I should definitely be able to catch the London versus Florida, as well as the Toronto versus Houston game. So I'm going to probably miss all the games on Saturday, which sucks, because I really want to see New York and Florida, as well as Toronto. You know what, honestly, all the games on Saturday I want to see, because there's something interesting there for all of them. New York and Florida, because it's going to be exciting if Florida can pull out a win. Toronto and Atlanta because I want to see Atlanta play for the first game and I want Toronto to win and then obviously London Houston for all the reasons I just talked about I'm not going to go over that all again my point is I'm probably going to miss most if not all of the games on Saturday which sucks because I won't be able to dissect them or talk too much about them I might watch a replay but I kind of doubt it um I should be able to catch some of the games at least on Sunday so regardless I might have a bit of a shorter show next week because of all that but that said, I suspected I was going to have a shorter show this week, and looking at my timestamps right now, um, it actually somehow wound up dragging out, and we're sitting at 54 minutes right now. So, I'm going to wrap up the show. This is the One Man Watchpoint, Episode 4, brought to you by Sir Dr. JM. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Again, I'm trying to tweet more often, so I'm a little more interesting to follow on Twitter. Um, I did tweet a couple times during the previous uh, week's games. However, that's not always going to happen. But I'm a nice, friendly fellow to follow. So go ahead and do that. Like, subscribe, share, all that jazz. Tell your friends about my podcast. Um, you know, hey, if they just download it, they never listen to it. Or if they just subscribe and never do anything else, then, I mean, that's fine. It's numbers. I, I like seeing some growth. I am working, as always, on getting this podcast out to more services. Again, I will hopefully spend some more time trying to get that set up and everything. But for now, we're only on Apple Podcasts. However, you can get my podcast through services like... Uh, what the heck is that one I use? OneCast, I believe. Overcast? Overcast. I always want to call it OneCast. It's Overcast. Anywho, I'm Sir Dr. Jam. This was One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast Episode 4. We are tuning out and we'll catch you next week. Bye.